Today I'm going to be talking about my big fat eating disorder. So many of you guys have struggled with the same thing that I struggle with. That there are just some days where you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Your skin, your hair, your weight. So definitely my freshman year and part of my sophomore year, I basically struggled with an eating disorder. I'm just going to tell you guys about my journey with anorexia before, um, like the things that led up to it, during and after. I grew up thinking that calories and just being fat was bad. Today I am going to be filming something that has been highly, highly, highly requested and that is my eating disorder and anorexia story slash experience video. I didn't want to make the video until I was 100% recovered. So I know that if I don't make this video now, I'll probably never make it ever. Today's video, it's going to be kind of different. I'm kind of going to be myself 100% because in all of my other videos, I push myself so hard to be something that I'm not and I can't lie to you guys anymore. I can't put on a personality that is not the truth. I'm just going to say it. I've been diagnosed and battling with an eating disorder and yeah. As you guys know, I have suffered from anorexia in the past. Search eating disorder on YouTube and you get hundreds, even thousands of videos, testimonials of people who have recovered, people who are still struggling, and some videos even promoting eating disorders and unhealthy body image. And this week is Eating Disorders Awareness Week, and I just really want to emphasize the importance of having a healthy body image and getting treatment and getting help in this time of need, especially if you suffer from an eating disorder. My name is Bailey Hildebrand. This week on the B Plus Podcast, we're joined by Anne McConkie. She's a registered dietitian. She really helps a lot of people with eating disorders as well. She takes on the health at every size approach to the people she works with. First off, I want to ask, uh, how did you become a dietitian? Was it something you were always interested in? Well, I've been a dietitian for a long, long time. Um, no, I, it wasn't always something I wanted to do, but I wanted to do a, um, a job where I'd be helping people. And originally I had wanted to potentially work overseas and I thought nutrition would be a good area to hmm. do that in, but I never ended up, I've traveled a lot, but I've never actually worked <laughs> overseas. <laughs> so did you study it then right away, kind of right out of high school or did you do some other things before that? I did a, f a couple other things and then I went through the... Um, Bachelor of Human Ecology, and then a year of internship to be a dietitian. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about the health at every size approach you kind of take on with people who come to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've worked in that with that approach for close to 30 years. So it's been a long, long time of working from sort of a non-diet philosophy, a non-weight loss focused, just uh, working with people to help them feel comfortable in whatever size body they happen to be in. I don't ever weigh people. I don't consider weight something that's really important. I value working with people toward being healthy. I really value health and helping people make, you know, healthy lifestyle choices, but that weight is not really a part of that. So how did you come across this approach? Did you kind of learn it in the beginning? Um, 
When I first started working at Women's Health Clinic, there was a a woman who was doing a project, because this was 30 years ago, so it was a long time ago, and she was doing a project in this this type of approach. And so from her and working uh, with her and reading, you know, some of the things she offered, I learned about this approach and have been working with it pretty much ever since. It's evolved. It wasn't called health at every size back then, but that's what I would call it now. So why is it important to you personally to take on the health at every size approach? Because I think that people should are valuable and worthy regardless of size, that size really has nothing to do with who a person is. And I think the... Um, the healthcare field that has said that um, weight is linked to a lot of diseases or higher weights are, I think a lot of that um, is exaggerated and that what really matters is how people live their lives, not what weight they are. So I just think it's really important that people feel valuable because I don't, um, I I don't think that we should be measuring people's worth on the size of their bodies. It's the same as measuring someone on the color of their skin or their racial background or their cultural background. Of course. And like, have you ever seen someone come to you and they're scared of being judged? Can you think of any stories in particular? Yes. I mean, that's happened hundreds and thousands of times over my Mm -hmm. career where uh, women, because I just worked with women originally, um, would come in and feel that they had been not treated seriously, let's say, in their doctor's office because of their size or would go in with a a medical issue that really had absolutely nothing to do with their weight. You know, maybe they'd had a sore hand or they had headaches or something and they were told to lose weight. You know, it really had nothing, nothing to do with that. And just this continuous pressure on women to, or probably men too, but certainly on people to lose weight as if that act in and of itself makes them healthier. When it doesn't, it's it's your lifestyle, not your weight. Hmm. What do you say to people who don't think you can be a little heavier and still be healthy? Well, I would would encourage them if they were interested to look at the research or Mm -hmm. I would um, certainly talk about some of the research that that long, large studies have shown that people who were in that um, so-called overweight range, I don't like Mm -hmm. that word, but the overweight range um, actually live longer Mm -hmm. and that people who are in the, again, I don't like these words, but the obese class one live the same, have the same life expectancy as someone who's in the so-called normal range of the BMI. So I think that again, it's been exaggerated, but even more than that, the fact is we know that dieting doesn't work, that people who diet end up gaining it back. And so we don't have a way of changing people's bodies. All we can do is encourage people to be kind and considerate of their bodies and take care of themselves. And from that, they will become healthier. They'll probably move their bodies. They'll um, eat foods that are nourishing for them, and that will make them healthy, you know, without their weight changing one way or the other. Why do you think it's so hard for so many people to understand that? Well, that's a good good question. I mean, I think there's so many... um, pressures in today's society. I think certainly the influence of media and, you know, the fashion industry, the weight loss industry, the diet industry is huge. I mean, 
There's a $61 billion industry in North America that's fueling a lot of that push to have people be a particular size or even more just to feel uncomfortable with who they are, to feel badly about themselves so that they'll go out and buy these products. So that's huge. There's also the pharmaceutical industry that has, um, you know, that funds a lot of the research that we see. And the fact is that there is, there's, you know, hundreds of studies that show that when people lose weight temporarily, because it's always temporary, Mm. that there are some um, health benefits in that time that they've lost the weight temporarily. But within one to three years, almost 100% of the people have gained it back. And those health benefits have gone as well. Whereas there's studies that show that when people change the way they eat, start to feel better about themselves, accept their size, that that leads to permanent health benefits regardless of their weight. And personally, I've I've gone through a bit of a journey myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, I dropped 75 pounds. And this was after being, quote, overweight. Mm-hmm. Again, hate that word. Um, for pretty much uh, from grade six and through all the way through high school. And and I dropped this weight and life was great and whatever, but I still didn't feel good about myself. And then I ended up gaining most of it back. Is that something that's pretty common, especially oh. with people who, who diet and then binge eat? Well, I think regardless of what kind of eating you do, that's what happens. Dieting does not work. It's like coloring your hair. I can color my hair blonde and I'm blonde for six weeks, but then I'm not anymore because it's temporary. <laughs> That's what dieting is, except it's a little longer. It's one within one to three years, almost 100% of the people have gained the weight back again. That's what happens. Bodies do not like being deprived, mm-hmm. and they want to get back to their previous weight. And I think, you know, in our society, we, we think of, like, people think of that as I did something wrong. I failed. I don't have enough willpower. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. It's the diet that didn't work. The person is fine. And um, binge eating when we've dieted is very, very, very common because if you're not getting enough to eat, that your body wants more to eat and it wants to eat enough food. And so, of course, it's going to eat when it has that opportunity. That's normal and natural. So is it kind of an everything in moderation approach that you take? Um, No, I would more take an approach that we need to fuel our bodies regularly. Hmm with a variety of foods and that we, uh, you know, the main thing is getting in touch with our own bodies and figuring out when we're hungry, when we're full, when we've had enough, what it is we really want to eat. Um, I think often that term moderation feels so restrictive and mm-hmm. it's not about restriction. It's about caring for ourselves. It's about listening to ourselves. And if we kind of plan to fuel ourselves regularly um, and that with that, we can get much more in tune with when we're satisfied, when we've had enough for us to eat, whatever amount that may be. That's that's what it's it's about. It's not about trying to eat a certain amount of food. Hmm. That that doesn't work. So when it comes to, I guess, certain things, like I'm so guilty of this, like, for example, eating an entire bag of chips mm-hmm. or like a whole pan of brownies or something mm-hmm. like that, is that something, would you consider that binge eating, especially if you kind of like deprive yourself of that for so long and then? Um, 
Well, to me, I mean, there's definitions of binge, but Mm -hmm. I often think of it more how somebody feels afterward Mm. uh, mentally, you know, are we saying, well, it's fine. I felt like having a bag of chips, so I had a bag of chips. Mm -hmm. I felt like lots of brownies, so I ate them. You know, that's fine. But often we're saying, oh, I shouldn't be eating chips. I shouldn't be eating brownies. They're not Mm. good. They're not healthy or whatever. That doesn't work very well. You know, and I think when we're, if we're not eating enough, because maybe we're trying to eat super healthy all day, and so we're not getting enough food, and it's quite normal that we're going to be eating more at night. And often what I find, and often too people, um, you know, when they eat, let's say a bag of chips or a pan of brownies or something, there's this sense of I did something wrong, you know, and, you know, I must be an emotional eater. Mm. And while it is true that people can use food to cope with emotions, what I find is when I work with people and sort of eating enough food through the day so that you're nourished and you're satisfied, very often people find that a lot of their eating in the evening sort of goes down because often it was due to being hungry. And so if you nourish yourself and you have enough food during the day, you don't have any food that's off limits. Of course, you can have chips if you want. Mm. Then it just becomes another food. And often people find that then they find they don't really want a bag of chips because they could have them any time. Yeah. Or often I'll say, you know, try putting some in a bowl and you can go back and fill up that bowl as often as you want. Until the bag is gone. <laughs> Until the bag's gone. If you want, you can go buy another bag. But at the end of the bowl, come come present and say, how am I doing? Do I want more? Fine if I do. If you don't, mm. if you don't, you can have them later. But it's, it's, it's a, getting that neutral feeling around food that... You can have it, you cannot have it. And then it becomes, instead of kind of feeling like I shouldn't be doing this, it's just another food. So when it comes to evening eating, mm-hmm. um, can eating in the evening impact things like your sleep? Well, it's very variable. I mean, many people enjoy an evening snack. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, that's fine. We need, I mean, our body doesn't, our body needs fuel 24 hours a day, seven days mm-hmm. a week. It doesn't, you know, there's nothing really happening at night that uses less fuel than during the day, Mm. except you're not moving. I mean, your liver's going, your kidney's going, your spleen's going, your immune system, like everything's still functioning at a pretty high level. So we need fuel all the time and we need to eat enough through a day. And so if somebody wants to have some of that in the evening, fine. But I mean, if somebody finds if they eat late and they get heartburn or they don't sleep as well, they might want to consider having it earlier, but there's nothing wrong with eating in the evening. You know. Do you find it's difficult to get people to maybe take take that on, take that advice on and eat more during the day, like fuel themselves when they're hungry and that kind of thing? Are people a little hesitant? Um, they might be, but often if people are eating in the evening and feeling badly about it, they're uh, interested in trying something that might just help them feel more satisfied all day. I mean, often people are feeling tired and low energy and they can't focus. And when they eat more during the day, they start feeling better. And so usually there's a big payback that they usually feel so much better and they're not so hungry, let's say, when they get home that they'll eat anything in sight. They can sort of think, oh, gee, I actually have some energy to maybe make supper. And then in the evening, they have more energy and they don't feel so compelled to eat in the evening. I mean, they can eat, they, you know, but it's not that same feeling of when you're being hungry all day long. So usually people feel so much better mm-hmm. that um, often it's it's not as difficult as you might think to have people eat more during the day. 
This week is Eating Disorders Awareness Week, mm-hmm. and I know you're quite involved uh, with people who have or have had eating disorders. Can you talk a little bit about that involvement? Well, I work as a dietitian at the Provincial Eating Disorders Prevention and Recovery Program. So um, our program is mostly group-based treatment. So people come in, uh, people, and we deal with people who are suffering from anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. About half our clients have binge eating disorder. Um, And they come in and they go through group... They have we have group based treatment. We can they also have access to regular um, interviews uh, biweekly with a counselor and a dietitian. So I see people individually. I I um, run pieces of the group, and I also do a fair amount of um, professional development on helping, you know, reduce the risk of eating disorders. Do you have any insight on how eating disorders kind of develop? Well, I think it's very complex. Um, that there's many, many factors leading to it. There's certainly individual factors. There's societal factors. Um, yeah, I mean, so it, it's very complex. But we, we do know that dieting, any kind of dieting or restrictive eating or attempt to change your body size or shape is the biggest risk factor for an eating disorder. So anybody who embarks on some kind of a program to change their body shape and size, either by eating or excessive exercise or whatever, is at risk for developing an eating disorder. And then again, certainly there's lots of other factors that go into that, but that that's kind of, they call it the gateway, almost the gateway to an eating disorder. So... Is it just like an extreme people go to in in that? Like they just it just becomes something they think about all the time. Do they become obsessive about it? Well, I think it's a process. We tend to look at it as being on a continuum, where at one end end of the continuum, somebody would feel comfortable with their body and comfortable with eating, and then they might start to diet in some way, restrict their eating, and. Um, because when we don't eat enough, our body responds to that because mm-hmm. that's kind of quite frightening for our body since our body makes us think about food. And and then, um, you know, we might end up, people might end up binging, let's say, because they're so hungry, they end up eating a lot and then they feel really badly about that. Or somebody starts to restrict and it becomes a way of coping, right? I mean, all eating disorders mm-hmm. are a way of coping. And so they sort of take on a life of their own and a person can move down the line on the continuum. So eventually it becomes something that overtakes their life. But there's many, many people walking around to have disordered eating or a, or a disturbed relationship with their body, but they may not actually have an eating disorder. Hmm. And so you mentioned you're involved quite heavily with the recovery process for many people. How is that? Like, how is the recovery for people? Is it is it pretty slow going? Do they relapse a lot? Recovery is a journey, and it Mm -hmm. is a long process for sure. Um, Many, many people take many, many years to recover. So our program might be just be a part of someone's recovery. Often people need to go into treatment many times before they recover, um, because it's a very difficult Mm -hmm. thing to recover from. It certainly isn't easy. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength. Um, and there has to be often 
people need a lot of support to recover. Usually they need support in their lives or from a program. It's a very, it's a difficult journey. Do you find it's very hard for people to come to you guys and say, I need help? Is it them maybe harboring this illness inside them for a long time? It could be. You know, it's certainly, I mean, you see everything. I mean, we have people in their 70s who come who have never sought help for their binge eating, let's say, which they may have done since they were teens, you know, so it could have been a lifetime. Um, It could be something that started last year or just began. Like we see people at all stages, but it's never too late. You know, there's always hope for recovery. And so I think if somebody is suffering or is even wondering, you can always check out the uh, the website, um, Eating Disorders Manitoba. It's a website that describes the different treatments and gives um, information that you can access, or you can just phone up the eating the provincial eating disorder program and talk to one of our program assistants who could help you um, figure out, you know, what treatment might look like for you. What are some of the things that maybe stop people from coming? Well, I think fear is a big Mm -hmm. one. I think because it is a way of coping, it can be really scary to think of moving into recovery and fear, you know, will I be able to, or they may have tried programs before and not been, not um, gotten to the place they'd like to be. And so they're afraid to try again. There can be a lot of reasons. And I think, yeah, it is very difficult for people to seek help. And they are afraid that of many, many things. And so when it comes to body positivity and body image, how can we look at ourselves and love ourselves? Where does that start? Mm. Well, you hope it can start in people's homes and people's families that Mm. um, kids are valued for who they are and not what size they happen to be, that, you know, that all kids are considered loved and valuable, that kids grow up loving food and not being afraid of eating, that we don't sort of emphasize you know, healthy eating as, you know, I think um, healthy eating has become almost a term, you know, there's healthy eating and then there's unhealthy eating, sort of like bad and good instead of Mm. there's a variety, you know, that sometimes we eat chips and sometimes we eat cake and sometimes we have cookies and sometimes we have sandwiches and sometimes we have chicken. It's all kind of, they're all part of the, the mix. And I think if kids grow up with that calm, comfortable relationship with food and a comfortable relationship with their bodies, that's a great start. But I think it has to go into schools where there's, you know, because now there's a lot of bullying around, you know, people who mm-hmm. are kids who are heavier. And that just is not acceptable. You know, we have to look at um, preventing bullying for all sorts of things, including body shape. So I think it, in the schools, I just think it's everywhere. It's on campuses. We need to look at body hate free zones and fat talk free zones. And I mean, it's huge. I have, to, you know, the medical um the medical people need to change and get um, less focus on weight and more focus on being healthy. So I think it's a, it's a huge, huge issue. And when it comes to kids growing up in homes, have you found that maybe if they're in homes where uh, the parents are very, very focused on, um, quote, healthy eating, do they grow mm. up with kind of a negative uh, body image more so? Well, it can. I mean, it depends. Like, there's so many factors. But certainly, if parents are quite restrictive, like if kids are never allowed cookies or cake Mm. or candy or chips or something, then that food is sort of seen as forbidden. And then there's a greater likelihood of them, 
you know, going out and eating a whole lot of it at a party if they never get it at home. So I think, again, mm. more of a balance. Or I think yeah. if there's been a lot of emphasis on body shape, or even, let's say, people who talk negatively about people's bodies, if kids hear that, that has an impact on them. So I think, you know, again, just seeing that people are people, it doesn't really matter what size someone's body is, and just being positive about people in general. What are some of the hardest things for people you work with to kind of get past when it comes to body image? Um, well, I think, again, we live in a society where we have, we've held up a thinner body as a so-called ideal, and that's um, promoted widely in the media and, as I said, in sort of by medical people. And so it's very difficult to um, come to the understanding that bodies come in different shapes and sizes that dieting does not work so we can't really change the size of our body all we can do is treat ourselves kindly and with respect and um, nourishing our bodies and loving our bodies as they are but that's that's a very hard one in our society Mm. but that's something we really uh, try to help people work on is accepting your body how it is however it is And if people want to learn more about Health at Every Size, are there any resources readily available to them? There's um, the National Eating Disorder Information Centre where people can go to get some resources on that. There is um, Linda Bacon has written a book called Mm. Health at Every Size and a book called Body Respect, and those both talk a lot about the concept of health at every size. So there are certainly a few things, but it is... um, you know, it's not written about maybe as widely as some other things would be, but there there are resources there. This might be a little personal, but have you ever personally dealt with any body image issues? Um, I personally have not. Hmm. And... Um, I know I'm I'm almost hesitant to say that because then I think sometimes <laughs> people think that maybe I wouldn't be able to understand. Hmm. Um, but, you know, certainly over the years, I have talked to so many women who do have body image issues that I feel like I have a very good understanding of the of the issue. Hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when I grew up, it was uh, body image issues were not as common. You know, and I think, again, that's one advantage I have is that I have had a fairly comfortable relationship with my food, with food and my body, which I think gives a good sort of base to think, yeah, this if if more people could feel like this, this would be great. But I know that a lot of people who work in this field have had their individual Mm -hmm. issues and that gives um, them an understanding, too. So I think, you know, people can work in this area coming from a wide variety of places. For sure. And Anne, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, they can be in touch with our eating disorder program at mm-hmm. Women's Health Clinic. And um, the numbers are on that Eating Disorder Manitoba website. That's probably the best place to go. Um, we also at Women's Health Clinic, there is a, a dietitian who sees uh people who don't have eating disorders, women who don't have eating disorders. So you, they could also phone up Women's Health Clinic and put their name on um, on the list to see the dietitian there. Those are two, two places they could go. Great. Thank you so much, Anne, for uh, joining us this week. You're most welcome. That's Anne McConkie. She's a registered dietitian living in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This isn't the first time we've touched on eating disorders here on B+. Uh, You can go to 
iTunes and check out episode four called Chill Me to the Bone. We spoke with a friend of mine, Kelsey Funk, who experienced bulimia and she tried to really make a change. Um, and she did. She changed her life uh, by going to treatment. And now she wants to help others as well, others who struggle with eating disorders and other mental illness. Make sure you check out that episode from November. We also spoke with Jake Kavanch. He is a Ryerson journalism student. Um, I spoke with him last year about an article he wrote um, about men with eating disorders. Again, that episode was from uh, January, this past January. Um, It's called Speaking Out in 2015. We also talk about other people who speak out against body shamers and bullies. So make sure you check out those if you want to hear more stories about eating disorders and recovering. My name is Bailey Hildebrand. If you want to find us, we're on the web, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, B plus podcast, B E plus podcast, all one word. Our website is B pluspodcast.com. And don't forget, if you subscribe on iTunes, you can get every new episode each week. You won't miss it. Download on there. Thanks again to Andrew McRae for making our website, James Russell for our theme music, and again, Anne McConkie for joining us this week. Until next week, be positive.